0: Ladies and gentlemen, people of all gender expressions, thank you for checking out the North Bank Media Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Strevens. Joining me on the show this morning, all the way from Calgary, Alberta, was Tammy Fan. Uh, Tammy is the CEO and founder of a company called Luxe De Jour. Uh, Lux is a pretty unique and uh, I would say novel uh, business idea. It's got a couple different operational streams. It's a place where women, primarily women, men are more than welcome, as I found out, I might get myself a nice fanny pack, but it's a place where people can go to buy, sell, consign, rent, and even have serviced uh, their luxury designer handbags. So, you know, these are those, those handbags, those purses that you see made by those top, top tier fashion brands. And those, uh, you know, those, those goods, those commodities themselves, most of them, many of them actually appreciate in value due to their scarcity, um, so we're talking about, you know, Gucci, Fendi, Prada, Yves Saint Laurent, uh, Chanel, Dior, I don't know, (laughs) I have no idea, but definitely check out their website, luxedujour.ca, luxedujour.ca, but, you know, beyond that, Tammy's story, I think, is, is, is just so incredible, because, you know, here you have somebody who, by her own admission, high school dropout, um, raised by immigrant parents where the expectations were, were different and, and life was in some ways tough and it was made tough on her uh, but it hardened her I would say and it, it be- made her such a, a driven motivated person to to now build this business uh, into something bigger than her so you know I think that's probably where this show is going now as we kind of get into season two here uh, I think entrepreneurship is just such a such an incredible uh, lens to look at people generally uh, personal development self-development um, it's kind of all one and the same. You know, you're building yourself, you're building your legacy, you're building your business, you're building your brand. It's a, it's an upward trajectory, uh, hopefully. So I really enjoyed this one. Tammy's incredibly smart woman, obviously very driven. Um, I would say too, I spoke with Jill Hints, who is uh, Tammy's operations manager at Lux, and so that conversation will be out shortly. And you can kind of see both sides, or or two different sides, uh, of running a business. You know, there's that visionary, big, you know, big picture thinker, and then there is that boots on the ground operations. You know, build the team, supervise the team, keep the train on the track. So it's not always that simple, but. It's 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 very interesting to get an insight from two perspectives on the same business. So, uh, in the meantime, please enjoy this one, a great one. Happy to be back for season two here. Uh, this is my conversation with Lux De Jour CEO Tammy Pham. <laughs> Tammy Phan, uh, thank you very much for coming on the North Bank Media Podcast. It's great to see you this morning.
1: Thank you for having me, Patrick.
0: So I would say this is another success story for my podcast to toot my own horn to start off here. Uh, somebody reached out to me on your behalf and said they thought this would be a, a useful thing for you. So uh, thank you uh, for following through and for seeing this as being useful.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I'm honored to be on your podcast to kind of give you a different perspective on how Myself as a dropout um, turned right. um, a company into a multi-million dollar company.
0: And I love that story. I mean, it's it's we've heard it before, but it's I've never really met someone directly who's been there. I want to go there right away. I first want to just say, let's say we're at I don't know a trade show, some kind of situation where you're in the room with a decision maker of I don't know a huge store, whatever it is. What is kind of the elevator pitch for Lux De Jour? What is it that you guys do that no one else does?
1: Yeah, so the elevator pitch for me would be, we think Amazon and Airbnb of designer handbags. We are an all-in-one destination where you can shop, sell, rent, or restore designer handbags. So anyone who has a designer handbags is going to want to know us and use one of our services because there's not a service or a product that we may not be able to provide hmm. to that demographic
0: beautiful and that's that's the way in some ways the economy is going towards this you well we don't we, it's less ownership right and more yeah, about minimalism minimalism sure and obviously Airbnb Uber all those things are taking off so do you you see that as is that kind of your long-term trajectory is to provide that in a in a new way
1: yeah so we we really see the impact that consumers are having on the environment and i okay. believe that more more years go by and everyone is becoming more environment, environmentally conscious and um, really taking a look at their consumption and maybe their impact on the carbon footprint or whatever it might be. Right. Mm -hmm. So we think that playing this huge circle, this movement in circular fashion and circular luxury um, would really reduce a lot of that impact mm-hmm. and we're not the most sustainable because of course our designer handbags are still leather right. right but to still keep up that passion and those the hobbies that people have but play a very sustainable um, way in that and that's what um our mission is
0: that's awesome and I don't worry about that leather thing because I eat beef daily I think it's I mean I have no problems yeah, but with more
1: and more people are becoming vegan I, I, right well oh,
0: more and more people are eating bugs yeah you know? Yeah. <laughs> have, you, exactly. have you ever eaten bugs?
1: No, and I, I, I prefer not to.
0: No, so. that's fair. Once I was in Mexico and a guy offered me a, a handful of chili lime flavored crickets.
1: How was it? Pretty
0: bad. Pretty bad. Yeah, pretty I, yeah. bad. <laughs> Let's stick
1: to beef. Let's just Let's stick to beef here. Stick to no. beef,
0: leather purses and, and steaks. Yeah. I'm into that. What What was kind of what was this, was that the original goal when you founded Luxe De Jour or did that, was that something you evolved into this, this no, n- different model?
1: It wasn't, it didn't even come to my mind that I would even t- be able to turn this into a business. Mm-hmm. This started off is because um, my, myself and my friends, we started collecting designer handbags. This was one of our interests that we started at a very young age. We started collecting designer handbags and we eventually needed to sell them and okay. By the time we were 21, we had probably a collection with me and my best friend of over 40 designer handbags, which is like a little mini boutique, boutique if you ask us. So we were like, "Let's, let's find a place that we could sell this. At first, we would try eBay and we would try Kijiji, but... I'm sure if you've been on those platforms trying to sell something, you know how that could be a nightmare. Mm -hmm. And especially imagine trying to sell a $5,000 designer Chanel handbag on eBay. It was a lot of scammers, uh, dispute payments, or fraudulent, you know, just a whole mess that wasn't really a great platform to sell a designer handbag. Same with Kijiji. Kijiji, you would always be worried about meeting up with someone. Would I get robbed? Would I get fake cash? Would, um, you know, there was a lot of flawed to even try to sell a designer Hmm. handbag on those platforms. So we tried looking out for our local consignments and it came to our surprise that these consignments were taking 40% of the fee for selling any item. Wow! And imagine losing 40% on a $5,000 pristine Chanel handbag. So we thought to ourselves, you know what, at this point, social media was uh, really booming. And Mm. that was when Uh, Instagram started, um, you know, on the rise. So we created just an Instagram account with me and my best friend, and we just started listing our bags on that platform and that's how we got in. And at six six years ago, you would have never bought anything off Instagram, but if you look at the platform where it is today, everything is now can be purchased on Instagram. It's, it's essentially like a selling platform influencers are selling each other Well, themselves, right? Their brand and and companies are selling their products. And it's, and we got in really early, and that's what eventually blossomed into this business. Mm -hmm. But we essentially really started it off to just sell off our personal handbags. Right. And then our friends wanted to sell their handbags. So we decided we'll only take 10% commission. We thought that was a much fairer price to give back 90% back to. Yes. Uh, the clients or our friends at the time right so we started that company and made a very fair commission structure and even up until today we still have one of the lowest commission structures in the market so if anyone's paying 40 percent, you don't have to most consignments are um that deal with high-end luxury such as ourselves luxe right. du jour. Um, we take we get back our clients up to 88 of the selling price
0: that's interesting, and that, now it's really dawning on me how that works. Is like you're before I go there. What year was this that you started? You're saying we
1: yeah we started in 2016, so 16. just May 2016.
0: Okay, and so it's great that you're you're opening up the market for yourself by by reaching out to people on an individual level, right through social yeah. media. That's the difference. That's kind of that to me is the success story of entrepreneurs today. Is that yeah? You you know, go ahead
1: sorry it's really interesting because if you think about buying designer handbags the other side of that so there's the selling part but then Mm. the buyers is when you go shopping online like if you were to go online you it's just a checkout browser website or if you have any customer inquiries you have to send them an email and then wait 48 hours for an email response. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But because we were on Instagram, we were really utilizing that platform as a very interactive shopping platform. So now they have lives. We could have sent to videos. We, any client that direct messaged us on Instagram or commented on any of the items that were available for sale, you would get a response almost instantly. And it was building that interactive platform, which was so different from Mm -hmm. the, old school kind of platform that of that shopping channel, right? Where you don't feel that relationship. So I think that it was mm-hmm. a really key point of our success mm-hmm. is building that very interactive community.
0: Right on. And that's maybe one of the success stories of social media, right? Like yeah. you may say social media has, has ruined us, but it, in some ways it also hasn't. Like it is making those that community building easier.
1: Yes, absolutely. And if if any business owners are listening to this, that is something that I would highly advise them to do is build a community because the money will yes. come after.
0: Yes, 100%. Well, I would like to ask you then, what in what ways have you have you succeeded on social media? Like, you don't have to give away your secrets here, but what are... It is about building an audience and not asking for money up I would love to front. give
1: away my secrets. Them, I would love okay. to give away my secrets.
0: My God, so, okay.
1: You may be wondering, okay, how did you be how did you build a community but the what some of the things we do is taking advantage of the the services that instagram offers so right now they launch reels if mm-hmm. you aren't utilizing reels it's a huge loss in your business um so for example on reels we are creating relatable content or relatable videos or educational videos to really showcase let's say fakes right mm. um clients if you go on the internet it's it might be harder for you to find a consignment shop or a place that you buy design handbags that teaches you about face right. things that you should look out for. But we do that. If you follow us on Instagram at Lux DuJour, you'll see that we create videos, educating mm-hmm. our clients and finding ways to add value to our clients. It's not just about selling, yes. selling, 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 sale, 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 mm-hmm. discount, 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 right? It is how can we add value to our clients and They see that. And that's what really differentiated us is that we posted investment guides, things that clients didn't know that, hey, some of these designer handbags are not great investments. You should find them pre-owned because they will depreciate up to 80 percent or which one which designer handbag is a great investment. Like you won't. um, I know. Patrick, you're a male and you might um, have a hard time believing this, but <laughs> designer handbags like Chanel and Hermes, some of them are better than the some of the stocks because they increase in prices really? every year. Yeah. So back in the day when I was purchasing Chanel, the Chanel classic flap was $3,000 in stores. And this was just eight years ago, I would say. Okay. And now if you go into stores and you buy that exact Chanel classic flap, It is now $12,000 in stores. So from eight years ago, the classic flap was $3,000. And now it is $12,000 in stores. In between there is when I sold my bag. That's how I know the value of the bag. I bought it for $3,000, but a few years later when I was done with it, I was able to sell it for $6,000 after using it. A used bag sold sold for double the price.
0: What is it about a good, because I've heard about, like, you can invest in, in artwork and stuff like that. What is it about a good that takes it to that level where it is appreciating? What is it the scarcity of it or what is it?
1: Yeah, so it is definitely some classics and it is the brand that you have to understand which brand has that investment, holds that investment piece. And not every brand can yes. do that because some brands go on sale. So if you purchased it brand new, you may... You you may have just lost 30% of the retail price, just like a car that yes. you take it off the lot, right? But there's some cars, some classic cars that are worth so much more mm-hmm. in the long term because of the rarity, right? And that's what we do. And we educate our clients on those because we are experts. We don't expect everyone else to be right. an expert. But why not share our knowledge to our clients so that they can make more conscious choices and better choices for themselves and overall our clients are so happy and um, really adding that value so right. back to that kind of question is um, another example is instagram lives if you if instagram launches the live feature you should be taking that to your advantage putting yes. your face forward and seeing how we can go on live to maybe answer some of our customer questions right we, you really want to add that human factor right yes. you're not just who is behind the owner of this company or who are the people that are, you know, assisting me. Right. Um, To really build that trust because not everyone, everyone wants to swipe their card for $5,000 or $10,000 on our website, but they do now because Mm. we built that trust factor. They know exactly who's on our team. They know who exactly who's behind the face of the brand and, and so much more than that, right. That there's so many features that, on social media that you really have to take advantage of as a business owner. Um, and I guarantee you that you add the value to the clients first mm-hmm. and the money will just follow.
0: That's beautiful. And that's, that has got to be true in, on some metaphysical way in the universe where if you're yeah. putting, you're putting that out there, it's it's going to come yeah. back to you, but you have to look at offering yourself fully uh, without concern for what's going to come back.
1: Absolutely.
0: So, uh, for you as a business owner, your content creation, your social media outreach, is that all in house or do you contract uh, people to do that?
1: So I used to contract. Of course, when you start small, you definitely want a contract because you may be working out of your basement, which is what I did before. And But now we have um, a head office here in Calgary nice. and uh, four subsidiary locations worldwide. So that now we have in-house. But yes, we started off as contract um, hiring contractors. Gotcha. But then when you realize your business is growing and you need that full-time dedication, that's mm. when you know you need to hire an in-house content creator. Um, and that's what we currently have right now.
0: Nice. Does she do good work?
1: Oh, amazing. If you follow our Instagram, you let us know. Be the judge of that. Okay, and there you go. We really listen to our clients. So we always often ask for feedback. So whenever we see comments and if they were to say, we don't like this content or, hi, I would like to make a suggestion about your content. They'd be, you'd be surprised that we actually take that into very serious consideration. And we and we, nice. we adapt and we change. We listen to our our clients.
0: Beautiful. So my my professional background is in video production. So I have done some marketing work and some social media content. You know, you just you I've been in the situations where you just you feel like you're just making this sort of crappy content that you don't know how it serves the client. What do you as a business owner what do you need from that content that you're creating? Like what what is it what does it have to do for it to to bring the value back to you?
1: Yeah, so we of course look for engagement and we also look for uh, engagement and is it aesthetic? Because our business is gonna be very different from your business, right, right Patrick? So our business is catered mainly to our demographic is mainly 95% women. And sure. we, we kind of know what women like. They like pretty things. They like <laughs> beauty. They like things that are very aesthetically pleasing or eye-catching and things like that. So we make sure our content is beautiful and we make sure our content is very um, e- easy on the eyes. And then we do want to make sure that we look at the, the our demographics perspective. Would they like it? Right, and and because we are, are we are technically our own demographic, right? That we know what our clients would like, so that's really important to understand who your demographic is, mm-hmm. and maybe get that point of view from someone that would be in the demographic and say, "Hey, would you resonate with this kind of content?" And really finding out, yeah, if it if it does on that route but of course if it doesn't and you know that your your engagement like no one co- no one's commenting on it no one's relating to it no one's liking it right. that's when you really have to re-analyze what content you're pushing out
0: right right yeah you, you use engagement as kind of the baseline for if you're making a an impact exactly Did, so what what then i guess Making that step to bringing an in-house content creator is good because then their, their hands are on the business full time, right? That was part of the problem with contractors is you pay them for their time. So was there, a, was there like, well, we can't afford to have this person in there doing analysis of our company and then creating content. We just want the content. So is that, that to me is a success story is bring someone in who's a part of the business yes. pumping out the content.
1: Yeah. And something that it didn't work out well with having a contract, a contractor is that the communication um, is never going to be when you need something right away. Right. Remember, you're not most like like most likely not going to be a priority because right. they're working with other companies. Yes. They also have other deadlines to to reach for other companies. So they're they're not 100 percent dedicated to just you. Right. And maybe you'll find that star contractor. But that's kind of the problems we had and that we were facing, and that's why we chose to go the full-time full in-house content creator.
0: Right on. And so when you say that it's social media posts, is it like photography, videography, all that yes. stuff? Yeah.
1: Yes, and also running ads as well, ah. running ads um, and creating any content that we may need. And when you know your, your business is online mm-hmm. and on social media, you will need constant content all the time across right. so many platforms right we we recommend you don't just stick to one instagram because what happened patrick was our instagram that had 60,000 followers was disabled right. for 4 weeks and instagram has been doing that i i don't know if you know anyone else that's been experiencing that yeah but your instagram disabled and you and then all your clients think that oh my god you just ran off with their money. You just <sighs> scammed them. You're Where gone. did this company go? Right. And that was a huge turn in our business that mm. we realized, thank goodness, we had all these other social media platforms. We were able to get our word out there. And mm. we had an email list. We had nice. TikTok. We had a website. We had um, YouTube. We had all these other social media platforms that we were able to voice any issues that you may have because if you put all your eggs in one basket you know that that could definitely harm your business so that's what happened to us our instagram was disabled for three weeks we were happily to get it back instagram said it was a mistake which was ridiculous because <laughs> you know that gave all our clients a huge scare um well yeah because they were really engaged with us
0: what is up with that because it wasn't a mistake was it
1: it well they said it was wow. so they They disabled it and Mm. we saw the screenshot that it says your Instagram was disabled. Please fill out this form to complete an appeal if you feel like this was a mistake. And they said that we were um, violating their guidelines and we appealed for it. And we received a email back from Instagram after three weeks Mm. that we apologize. We have made a mistake. We have restored your account. You will be able to log in again right yeah so i don't know if we violated any guidelines we don't believe we did mm-hmm. but instagram said it was a mistake which was great we hope that they don't do that again because i don't know <laughs> what nice, kind yeah. of algorithm they are implementing in mm-hmm. there that they might have thought maybe we were bot accounts because we someone is always messaging and replying to DMs, someone okay. is always posting content, someone is also on live, and someone it, it could come off as we're bots, because we have a full team on all our social media accounts mm. working, right? So it doesn't seem like, how can a human be on five different um, <laughs> five, sure. five different things in the whole app, right? right. So I'm not sure if that, that might have triggered it, but that's Maybe. something definitely to watch out for.
0: Now, is there any risk in your mind, like you're using... Like we've seen in the past, well, maybe you don't give a shit about the stuff I pay attention to, which is possible, but we've seen like big names get kicked off these platforms and they lose, right? Uh, There's an office. That is
1: huge. Okay, so
0: tell me, do you think about building like some kind of proprietary platform where you're in control? Yeah.
1: So Patrick, you're going to love this because we actually have been working on an app and our app is set to launch mid this year. It took us a whole year for this app to it was so expensive, but I think <laughs> it's worth the investment when you get to the point. We're, we we're not building this app just because we want to say we have an app, but sure. we bridged a gap between some some things, which I'm so excited to share when the app is finally launched. Sure, but. All I can say is, yes, we have taken that into consideration when our Instagram was disabled and we immediately transitioned. And that's something important that I think business owners should know is all constantly transitioning. Mm-hmm. If you ever feel comfortable in your, in your company, then you that's a danger zone. Yes. You should never just feel comfortable. Yeah.
0: And in you life, should. right?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: The growth comes when you keep pushing that comfort.
1: I agree. I
0: Agree, so the app obviously the app is still in development and we'll you, you'll you'll talk more about that when the time comes, is that what you're saying? Exactly, okay. Um, what then? Well, okay, let's go there then because was this something entrepreneurship? Was this something that always was in your blood that appealed to you, or do you sort of it sounds like it maybe no. you stumbled into it in no, a way?
1: I stumbled into it, and you know, coming from an Asian family and mm. an immigrant family, is that I was definitely supposed to be an engineer, lawyer, doctor, some high paid mm. uh, salary up up in the corporate world, sure. right? But because um, all my cousins are actually pharmacists, doctors, surgeons, right. engineers, really, really um, high degrees. And I was actually the black sheep of the family. <laughs> you know, I was the disgrace of the family, the Ooh. one that everyone told I'd, I was a dropout. And that's okay. why. So I never got got to post-secondary in fact I didn't even graduate high school so there was no way I thought I would ever own a business at that time I was working at the bank though okay and and I just kind of moved up the ladder um, within the bank but I was the one that my aunts and uncles and my mom and dad told my brothers my cousins not to hang around don't be influenced by that that Tammy, because <laughs> they didn't want, of course, if you let your kids hang around a dropout, then you might become a dropout following her. Sure. her That's yeah. right. But so no one was really allowed to hang with me or, um, be close to me or talk to wow. me, which really left me with no support hmm. in a way. Um, especially when it came to family and, um, and, and friends, like my, fr- my friends are all gra- graduates. I'm very smart, Sure, but, um, hmm. um, yeah, so there was no way I thought this was going to be the road until there was a transition in my life where when I was working at the bank, I wanted, um, vacation time. And okay. in order to get vacation time, I had to, the rules were I have to notify them three months in advance. Right. And I couldn't have July and August because the mom's, <laughs> have that time. Of course. Off. So you, because I wasn't a mom at the time, I can't reserve those summer holidays, which was come on, my friends wanted to go on vacation on the well, summer. Well, yeah,
0: we all want to go.
1: No, Yeah, but I couldn't because there was moms that have children mm. that needed those times off. And of course, working in the bank, uh, banking industry, everyone has to be like not everyone can take time off on in the summer. So sure. that was a huge transition for me was finding out that my my life was restricted almost, right? I really wanted that freedom. Yes. And don't get me wrong, do I think I have freedom right now? No. 16-hour days is not freedom, but it is something I enjoy doing. Ah. And it's still something I can still take on to vacation if I wanted to and still enjoy doing because it's when you love what you do, it's not we don't look at it as a work, right? Mm-hmm.
0: You said something very interesting though. You don't feel free even though you're running the no, show.
1: I breathe, live, like I I sleep, think, like you're when you're a business owner, I don't think your business is ever off your mind. So you right. are constantly thinking. You have nightmares about your business, you have dreams <laughs> about your business. Good. You your mind is never turned off. Mm-hmm. So I don't I can't say I'm I'm free, right? Because I think my my i'm tied to my business mm-hmm. for life <laughs> pretty much. and it's it's almost like a sickness you, you a can't sickness. get rid of it you can't get rid of it okay in the middle of the night i'll wake up at three in the morning and i'm like oh my god that is a brilliant idea i have this idea and then i'll go input it in my notes and then you can't get back to sleep sometimes because you are so excited now about that idea and that you right. have to constantly keep thinking about it and and it's crazy and like my friends sometimes want to meet up and just have like a few drinks, but I choose, I, I don't drink because nice. I say, no, I need my mind to be in, in the right mental state because I'm constantly thinking. And of course I am the most boring friend out there because they're like, yeah, don't invite Tammy because Tammy's <laughs> not not a fun time to be around because <laughs> what they might want to talk about is very different from what I want to talk about. I want to talk about business. I want to talk about right. other things. And yeah, so I feel like it's not freedom right now but I know mm-hmm. I love what I do and I don't consider it wor- consider it work
0: that's interesting that's the first time I've really heard that and I appreciate the honesty where it's like yeah you know we're not free here as entrepreneurs no. truly but you might say that your friends and not to your friends generally I don't know them but it's like are they free certainly not are, are you more free <laughs> at least
1: yeah so I think I'm setting up freedom in the long term Right. Yeah. right because my cousins now i talk to them and i'm so glad like my cu- my family is close with close to me again mm-hmm. and my cu- um, cousins can talk to me again and hang out with me <laughs> because now now i i guess in their eyes i've made it right made it. And i'm not i'm not this deadbeat on the uh, <laughs> deadbeat dropout right but um oh sorry i lost my train of thought now that's what, okay What were we asking? i don't know i so, just said
0: i was asking you if you're more free and you were talking about the long term
1: yeah I cu- right. Sorry, my cousins don't necessarily love their jobs. So I've right. now that I talk to them, I find out that they they're working sometimes 12 hours because they're stressed about what they're uh, about things they bring home from work. Right. But they don't essentially like it. Right. So <laughs> right. it, it's pick your stress. Which stress would you rather have? I guess. Right. Yeah. But then there are some jobs that, um, yeah, because high pay high paid jobs they don't necessarily come with a work life balance. I I would say. Right? Like a doctor, I mean, yes, you make six figures, but my cousin's a doctor and she says otherwise, she says <laughs> she does not feel free at all.
0: Right. And yeah. and she's got, especially right now, she's got the weight of, of society and the world and all these eyes on her. It's like, I mean, you yeah. signed up to be a doctor, but also, you know, yeah. you also, yeah. you th- your, so your I, life.
1: I Pitch which, which stress you want. <laughs> In life is always going to be stress. Well, exactly. I think it's just a matter of which stress do you want.
0: Now, I guess I should ask, is the plan someday to sell your business and, and move on? Or is this a long-term play for no, you? No,
1: um, I know that every, every entrepreneur has some sort of exit to sell right. and cash out huge um, because I love what I do so much it, and I see a huge, I see a further down vision that I want to go IPO. That would be okay. our exit if nice. we ever brought in investors, um, which we currently don't have investors because we are um, a very healthy cash flowing company. Nice. But we are excited to, we know that in order to fuel growth, you will eventually need big money to back you. Right. And I and am aware of that. So I know that eventually we will have investors coming in and our our strategy would not to sell, but our strategy would be to go IPO.
0: Interesting. That's neat. I talked to another entrepreneur in Calgary a few days ago and that was that was his thing. He's like, this is a long-term thing, which I think must say that this is where you want to be. Whatever it takes mm-hmm. to get there or stay there, this you're doing what you love.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Cool. I wanted to talk to you. I'm just screaming here. Sorry. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about like this. I've had some immigrants, people who are from immigrant backgrounds on the show, and they told me a similar story where there is this there is this pressure from the family to to yeah. attain a certain societal and, yes. and financial that was obviously something you felt would you like to say a little bit about your experience with that and and how that maybe yeah. shaped you and you
1: know not everyone has a this kind of personality, which is kind of messed up, because the more people don't believe in me, the more motivated I become. And I know that could tear down a lot of people and really ruin someone mentally. Mm. But I really felt like so my family, uh, my dad escaped the Vietnam War. So Mm. when I hear his stories of his struggles, and why I had to go to school and be successful, because he did not escape the Vietnam War Mm -hmm. for nothing right and when I hear his heartbreaking story I knew I could not fail him right. but I was also in a circumstance where we were a poor family we hmm. had not enough money so I wasn't it wasn't my choice to just be like yes I drop out because this is my choice I ch- i had to drop out due to the circumstance to make money so hmm. I had to drop out to work to to have money to okay. provide for myself because my family was poor. We didn't have anything. So um, when I hear those stories, it's when I hear just any story that my family had to go through to make sure we became successful. Mm -hmm. They they didn't believe in me, but I knew that I had to prove them wrong. You know, and that might be the petty in me too, right? That um, sure. you don't believe in me, then <laughs> I will make sure you're wrong about that, and I will, I will come through. But that is, yeah, I, I don't want to get into the whole Vietnam War story. No, but, that's, that's good. Um, yeah, but you know, that is at the end of the day, that was. That was the reason why i kind of uh pulled through i think um and i also mm-hmm. believe if you have haters as well that also pushes the, you as a motivation but i right. know that not everyone has has that same mentality i know that sometimes no support and haters could really stop someone from doing something and really tear them down right. so it really depends on everyone's character or personality for sure mm-hmm.
0: so do you feel like you were were born with that character then i also want to ask maybe is in some weird way was your parents saying that we're you're never going to make it we're not proud of you was that their way of pushing you yes that's kind of weird
1: yeah it was so weird it was when i didn't graduate school these are the things i would hear from my parents like oh my god um look at you. Um, you're not going to, you know, like do anything with your life. Mm-hmm. Um, look at your cousins. XYZ is now a doctor is going to be an engineer. Right. They're going to be making six figures. And, um, and then what are you going to do? Um, you, you go, you just have to marry rich then, or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it yeah. was, it yeah. was the, it was things that would mentally tear you down, but I really took that as like, yes, it hurt. Right. Mm -hmm. And it hurt, but it motivated me to be like, I have to make, I have to make money. Then I have to make more money. I have to, yeah, I have to prove my parents wrong. And because they said all these things that would always compare me to my cousins or other people, sometimes heck, they would compare me to celebrities on magazines and and say why are you not like this why you can't be making millions of dollars like this look the celebrity bought a house for her mom how come you can't buy you know Hmm. things like it was really it was not a great childhood I would say but I, I feel like a lot of Asian Asian families that's just kind of how they, you're built like I, I never heard an I love you from my family. Okay. Right. I never heard you don't hear that kind of praise. You don't hear, oh, good job, you got a B. Um, I think you could do better next time. It was always if I got a B in school, why didn't you get A plus? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, who's why are you not top student in the class? Why are you next time you better get a B. This B is fail, right. essentially, right? It was never good enough for them, mm. right? Yeah. So it was a very interesting childhood to grow up, but I know a lot of Asians, if you have Asians listening to this, I know they can relate because that's the reason why our cousins have succeeded because (laughs) they were also traumed with these kind of words. And, and yeah,
0: that's it's fascinating to me because being from the West, being like my Canadian goes back in my family, many, many generations. And it's just, it's not like that. There's this, it's just not like that. I mean, my dad has told me before it's like, not that he's not proud of me, but then my dad always pushed me. But in in other ways, I guess I'd say, was yeah. there?
1: Oh, sorry, go, I was going to say,
0: was there a moment when like your parents settled down and we're just like we are proud of you or we uh, we do see what you've built here? Because look what oh. it, look where it pushed yeah. you to.
1: Now, now they're retired, and I'm and I'm ah. and I'm glad I could retire them, you know. But, um, so now they're of course proud, but, um, at a certain stage when I was building this, this business that I didn't know was going to turn into a business, but I, I I was just hustling, right. Right. It was just a a side thing, but, um, they just gave up on me eventually. They just kind of, um, disconnected themselves. Like we weren't as close, um, because they would just, anytime you would talk to them, they would just have something negative to say in a way. And. Yeah, and that's just generations down. That's how their moms kind of raised them. That's that I don't know why it's like well, that. You know, like I I don't know. Asian culture.
0: <laughs> Do you have a sense of why? Because to me it's totally foreign. But you can imagine it's like your dad escaped the Vietnam War and came here to give you a better life and you did what? You're not gonna finish that, school? Go
1: to school. Yeah. Right. So But there's more yeah, to it think-
0: than that, I think.
1: I think there is more to it, and you know what? I might not be the best person to explain why. Because you know what's crazy is now that I have this team, I notice some of those traits from my parents reflect from me. Because mm. I don't, I don't praise my my team as much as I should, okay. and they have called me out on it. They were like, "Wow, we feel so unappreciated um, by Tammy because she has never really said she's never really said." Like given us a hug or like, yay! Um, great job! I'm so proud of you. Good, like, you know. I don't need a oh, hug I from have... my boss.
0: Yeah. I don't need <laughs> how
1: how, how I reward how I sure. reward appreciation would be here's a bonus in your paycheck. Oh, here's a bonus, and then I will, you know, you walk away or they see it and you don't really say much about it. But mm. it's, I found that out and. I'm changing that because okay. I was called out on it. They were like, tell me, we don't feel uh, like appreciated." And I'm like, I appreciate you guys. I'm sorry. I didn't know how to express it other than like monetary ways. Whoa. Right. Yeah. That's quite a
0: moment to have. Hey,
1: it was a moment to have. And I I don't want to just blame my parents, but it was the environment I grew up in. Right. Right. So my husband being also coming from an Asian family. Okay. Heck, we don't even say I love you to each other. <laughs> You
0: know, so... Okay, there might be an issue there, but that, I'm not that, a marriage counselor, I don't know.
1: It's it's weird, like, we mm-hmm. show love sure. through different ways. We're just not verbal about it. Well, yeah. that's, so that's we,
0: interesting, there it is.
1: Yeah, You're, so we show love, mm-hmm. but we're not verbal about it. And that's what, that was, like, our parents. Our parents weren't verbal about it, but they will show you because they'll buy you a new car, let's say. Or sure. they will um, give you... Um, Christmas money, or they'll peel all your grapes for you, all the, the, the skin, because they know <laughs> wow. you don't love, um, grape skin, uh, skin, grape skin, <laughs> Yeah. but they'll do that. And that's their way of showing they love you, but they'll never say it. You'll never hear them even say, sorry.
0: That's really interesting. So to me, this podcast is like, I'm trying to build connections between people plainly, like, because we're in a disconnected time. You might say we're being forced to disagree with each other for no real reason, Now, you're familiar with the five love languages, I imagine? Yes.
1: I love that book. I read that. I had to teach it to my husband (laughs) because he needed some, we both needed help in that love expression.
0: Well, okay. So, but maybe that's part of the problem is that we're all speaking a different language in some ways to people. And then your your team had to finally just come to you and say, not in a love language, but in a real language, we need this from you.
1: Yes. Yes, they did. And I read that book too late. I read that, you know, recently. So that was, that was an eye opener for me.
0: So that's why, that's why I love talking to entrepreneurs and consider myself an entrepreneur too. Like I'm, I do freelance work. Like I have no boss. I have a million clients that are all like bosses, but yeah, because (laughs) entrepreneurship and business ownership is also self-development. It's the same thing in some ways, right? Like you, you, Your your business won't succeed if you're not succeeding in other aspects of your life.
1: Absolutely. And that kind of actually reminds me of something new I just did. Um, So as a CEO, of course, I have never been taught to be a CEO. Right. And what I did was I hired a business development coach and a leadership coach. And I I try to look for the CEO groups to because, you know, if you know that you might be the problem that's lacking skills, mm. it's your job to, of course, try to solve those problems, of course. And right. because now a team relies on you for their, for their pay, they're dependent on you, right? I, yep. I, I did not want to fail them. And I knew that in order to not fail them, I need to be the best version of myself. Mm. So... Um, I did hire a leadership coach to teach me more because I cool. knew I was really lacking that. I've never managed anyone in my life. Right. I was working from home for the last almost five years. Mm-hmm. And then to completely transition into leading a team mm-hmm. and four different locations, that is hard. So I, I, I joined the CEO groups, right? I, I joined, um, I got business development, business analyst, and a um, leadership coach okay. to really help me guide you through. And that was—they hmm. are not cheap, just so you know, Patrick. They <laughs>
0: okay. Are Good to know.
1: Over two hundred dollars an hour. So when you talk to them or call them, talk fast. you better just talk really fast. Yeah. yeah.
0: There you go.
1: <laughs> and um, but they were they were not cheap, but they were the best investment I have ever made in me. Wow. Um, made in myself. And that's something that I would say to also business owners as well.
0: That's interesting too, because you sort I didn't say you failed upward, but you sort of stumbled upwards and kind of adjusted and looked for what you needed yeah. as you went.
1: Yeah. Don't wait until you are until it's too failing. Late. Yeah. Right. And, and you hit rock bottom because at that point, it's much more harder to recoup and recover from that.
0: Interesting. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. At what point, I have this saying and it could be wrong, but like it's at certain upper levels of business, all it is is communication and talking and, and sort of allocating resources, right? Like,
1: yes, I agree. You know, so that is 90% of it.
0: Right. At what point did you get there and felt like in your industry, it's, I mean, in the construction industry, they say you're off the tools, right? Like you're not, you're not building the house anymore. You're telling these guys to go build the house essentially, or you're coordinating yes. that. What point did you yeah. sort of make that shift into like the the upper end of things?
1: yeah i made that shift when i found out a lot of turnover rate in the company like within four months of hiring four people ended up leaving the company Hmm. that was kind of the eye-opener for me i'm like what is going on here Hmm. was it the wrong people i hired or was it possibly myself was it the structure right i really had to dissect that and that was a, a key a key moment that you really have to find and no one wants to think they're the problem (laughs) <laughs> but sometimes you are the problem. <laughs> oh, yes. And you, the sooner you come to terms with who the problem is and if it is you, that's when you should be fixing it. I felt like I, I knew I was the problem a little bit too late
0: okay. because
1: I was in denial. I thought mm. there's no way I was running the business perfectly fine on my own. But how come all of a sudden I start hiring people, things are going wrong? It's the people. It must be the people. Gotta be. But it wasn't. It was my communication skills on delegating the right tasks, deleg finding the right skill set. It was. I can't blame the people anymore. That was a part of my job. Right. Right. And sometimes maybe it is the people. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is. But it's it's your job to really dissect that and find out find that out.
0: That's so. Then what's the move? There is for you to to find a manager at like a like an operations person to come in under you and basically relieve you of having to do that kind of thing. Yes.
1: Yes. So what the business analyst does, and a business um, development person does is they come into your business and see what's currently um, operating, who's currently doing what, and Mm -hmm. who's currently doing this, and what kind of holes are in your system. Mm -hmm. And what something really new that I learned is understanding who is a cash center and who's a cost center. So as we essentially look at ourselves as a startup, but um, even though we've been in business for six years and generate over millions of dollars, is that understanding that you need mainly cash centers so that are people generating cash into your business Mm. how can you justify their position to generate cash into your business and then who is just a cost center so a cost center they just cost the company money because you got to pay them and what are they doing are they just you know um Janitorial service for, it, or sure. who like, is it worth the value gotcha. of your cost center, right? Or sometimes you have a manager that just kind of um, makes sure people are doing their thing, but maybe at a certain stage you don't necessarily need a manager because the manager doesn't really actually bring in any cash for the business. They're just right. making sure hey, those people are supposed to be doing what they're doing. Right. But you got to ask yourself, do you really need a manager at this stage? that right. cost is because managers cost higher salaries
0: right and right
1: could, mm-hmm. yeah could, no conti-
0: couldn't you couldn't you say too that like if you hired the right people you wouldn't you open like say you don't need a manager but you need less yeah. management
1: yeah i i 100 agree with that and of course don't um don't take me the wrong way because there's people for example like my executive assistant would con- be considered a cost center sure. because they don't necessarily bring in cash but what this business analyst and uh, business development person told Mm -hmm. me was that you can actually turn this executive assistant into a cash center. Why? If they're the first point of contact, if clients come in, are they upselling? Are they building engagement? Are they maybe asking for reviews? Are they, you know, like there's huge value there Mm -hmm. that you could put on a cost center. It's just a matter of finding what duties to put under them to make them a cash center. And now my executive assistant is considered a cash center because now, because she's the first point of contact mm-hmm. with any clients that come in, she can upsell a product or service that we have. Or is she asking for the business? Right. Is she asking for reviews? Reviews are huge, right? right. And um, and just um, following up with clients to see, hey, was everything great for you? Or, you know, things like that. Like there's huge value in that. So some cost centers are just huge value that will help another cash center because I'm considered to be a cash center, but because my executive assistant helps me that that's justified. (laughs) It is.
0: Damn. I just learned a lot in 60 seconds there. That's cool. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I guess I did want to just sort of dig in again. It was like when you made that shift to being less hands-on, less people management, was there someone that, was it, was it, that open a role for a management type, for an operations type? Is there someone, who is that person for you, I guess?
1: Yes, that's my chief operating officer. So you definitely need a right-hand person right. in, in business, especially if you are going to be less in the office because I'm out meeting or networking or doing the more strat- strategic side, right? Right. And, um, that is my right hand person, is my chief operating officer and as well as my executive assistant. So there's two people I fully can trust to make sure that the company is running smoothly mm-hmm. without me being there. And
0: and it feels good. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, it feels good. It's scary though, because okay. when you were doing everything on your own, you always think I can do things better mm-hmm. and I can do things faster. But, but then you? you didn't hire the right, but you didn't hire the right the right people then. Ah. Yeah,
0: see, that's that's the thing, too, is now you've built something that is bigger than you. Right. And it it requires other people to to live, to to get the vision where you want it to be.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And something I also learned, which is maybe a good tip. But when you're in a business that's no longer a lifestyle business, Hmm. so a lifestyle business is something that you just want to reap the maximum amount of profits.
0: Okay. Right, which
1: was me in my basement, which was me working from home. Sure. We just wanted maximum amount of profits, less expenses, less overhead, because of course you want just the most amount of profit so that you could feel your fund your lifestyle and take home as much as you can. But if you're in a growth business and a scaling business, Mm. and you want your business to be more than that, that is when you don't look at the profits anymore. You're not looking at the maximum of profits. You're actually. Um, re- you, you're taking the profits and you're reinvesting into your business to fuel growth because you cannot scale and you cannot grow without capital, and um, especially fast, right? right. So, um, what I learned in the, the difference was essentially when I first started hiring was I wanted to hire um, girls that were young and I could teach them into be um, a great person for the role, right? Right, um, because I wanted the cheapest cost. I wanted the cheapest cost. Um, So if I hired them kind of, you know, younger age, fresh from high school, I could teach them, but that was not what my company needed. Mm. So there's a very big difference is you hire cheap, but we were wondering how come our our company was doubling every year until I started hiring people. And then I was wondering how come our company only grew by 20% in, in terms of sales. And I found out the problem was, is because I was so much focused on um, growing the internal team instead Uh of the actual company. Right. And that is where you might find yourself falling short is, when you hire people without the actual skills or experience, because you think you can train them to do some of the things you do right, is you're going to spend a lot of time, you, you know, folk, uh, training and growing the team mm-hmm. instead of being able to grow the company. So what I learned from that is that I, my company needed people with skills and that's why you have to pay higher dollar. That's why we did, uh, we're paying, um, some people, $200 an hour for their skills, yeah, right? but they are going to be, but those skills are what's going to help you grow your company. And you can't look at it at, Oh no, I'm making less profit. I'm failing at this business. Right. It's no, I'm adding so much more value into my business that it's going to withstand longevity and it's going to grow bigger, faster.
0: But uh, now that must be a hard move for an entrepreneur, right? To admit that, okay, I'm, this business is not just me funding my lifestyle anymore. This is now me projecting into the future.
1: Yeah. That's a scary. Yes. And you have to make that decision because some people would rather have a lifestyle business Mm -hmm. for five, 10 years for the rest of their life because they don't want that stress. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with having a lifestyle business. Heck, if I could turn back in time, (laughs) I may, may not have maybe stayed in my business. But sometimes I think about it when all these other stress comes to me and how many people now depend on me for, to make sure this company does not go bankrupt, right? Does (laughs) not go under, right? right? So a lifestyle business is great. There's nothing wrong with that, but then you need to see if you really do want to grow your business and take it to Mm -hmm. the next level and really understanding which business would you rather choose and want, because you really can't change a scaling business back to a lifestyle business.
0: Right. That'd be a failure.
1: That would be a failure. Yeah. But do you, you kind of see the problem there. So once oh, yeah. you choose a scaling business, <laughs> if you say, nope, you know what, I don't want this 500 inventory to come in anymore. I don't want all these customers to know me because I'm going back in my basement and working by myself. Um, you, you, your company essentially is going under yeah, and it's going because it truly. can't, you already worked so hard to, you advertise that to get to here, 500,000 inventories coming in. And now you're saying, no, I don't want it anymore.
0: Yeah, that doesn't you know, look good.
1: No, you can't do that. No, that doesn't look good.
0: <laughs> Literally going under from, from you're in a high-rise office building to going back into your yeah, basement.
1: Exactly. Not good. But anytime at a lifestyle business, you can choose to go um, and scale your business, sure. right? With the right strategy, with the right strategy.
0: But you got to, it's a leap of faith, right? You got to believe that, it's it's this yeah. or nothing
1: it is it really is
0: how many people uh in your company
1: so we have fourteen in total ten okay. work at our Calgary head office and then um at we have um someone at our subsidiary locations handling those those locations are not um huge they are just smaller subsidiary locations so if clients want to sell in those locations they were they're able to drop off pick up and things like that
0: gotcha so what is kind of the number one sort of stream of, of revenue for your business? Is it the commission or is it that you're actually doing some of those sales yourself?
1: Yeah. So what's interesting is that our business model and people are surprised when they hear why Amazon is a the next trillion dollar company if they aren't right. already, right. but it's because Amazon has nine streams of income mm. and um, people think, no, they just sell items. But if you think about all the other things they offer, like the cloud, prime membership, Mm -hmm. um, they they make a lot of income elsewhere. And we wanted to mimic a a success like mimic that successful business. So we have five streams of income within our company. And one is, of course, the commission from selling and buying. The other would be the commission from bag rental. So uh, when Lux bag rental is essentially the Airbnb of bags. So women are able to, well, women or anyone else who has designer handbags are able to monetize their designer handbag closet. So the average bag lover has an average of 10 designer handbags in their closet that they don't use. And um, they are able to list them for rental and to, to lend it out. Just like how Airbnb, you can lend out your extra room or your extra rental property. Clients can now lend out their designer handbags and, make 50% commission off that and we take care of the rest. And so we make money off the bag rental commission. We make money off the consignment commission. And mm. then we also offer bag spa services. So restoration of designer right. handbags. Um, it's a huge, a huge um, niche. Well, it's a, it's a very niche, but it's a sure. huge market. Because every, a lot of people have designer handbags that need to get touched up. And you're not taking these designer $5,000 Chanel bags to the shoe store to get <laughs> the old guy in the
0: mall yeah, yeah, yeah. no
1: <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i don't think he specializes in that but we specialize in that so lux bagspa charges per service and they sell the actual cleaning and care products mm-hmm. for to um, keep your bag clean or, uh, you know, you can do things sure. from home to really extend the longevity of a bag. So we make two sources of incomes from BagSpot, which is the services and selling the bag care products. And then we also on our app, which hasn't launched yet, we'll we will have a membership fee, an annual membership fee. Um, so that's another um, so, so yeah, you love memberships. I don't know. You're giving me that look.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's the way the world's going, man. It's all yeah, subscription. It yeah.
1: It's how do we make our clients loyal to us yes. and, and keep them, um, of course, our clients, um, with us. Mm-hmm. And this membership is going to be very beneficial to our clients. But, um, and then our fifth, um, source of revenue is of course selling, um, handbag accessories. So oh, yeah. these are things like that repurpose your bag or, extend the longevity of your bag. So they're not necessarily okay. bag care products that clean or, um, uh, you know, re- remove color transfer off your bags. But mm. these are things that could turn your wa- wallet into a purse, which is very interesting. You, okay. sh- you should definitely check it out. It's all about <laughs> price, but, yeah. um but um, for it's, it's affordable. But you can turn sure. your wallet into a bag so How? that... There's so it's really interesting because we came up with this interesting design, but it's an insert felt um, okay. that will fit into a generic wallet with um, two hooks at the side of it. And it will have a very nice gold or silver oh, chain. Okay, I got So you. you would insert that into your wallet in the slot there sure, and it turns your wallet into a purse so that you could use your purse for other things. So you don't have to necessarily buy a whole new bag you could repurpose and so it's products like these like our innovative team comes up with products that are not trending we don't want to be part of fast fashion we don't even want to be somewhat correlated to fast fashion but we want to have items that are um, long-term investments how could they repurpose your bag or how can they extend the longevity of a bag so that we don't have to you know we can reduce somehow the amount of brand new bags that are being pushed out and and purchase right because everything we do in at Lux de Jour is recycle reuse and reduce or repurpose now
0: repurpose right? that's yeah. incredible good for you honestly I'm I, I'm just my mind is spinning because you seem like you've really sort of thoroughly gone through what a business needs to be successful as far as multiple out av- not just multiple streams of revenue but multiple offerings of value to the market
1: Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And I know Patrick, you're this doesn't interest you in a way because they're all well, designer handbags. No, but it, when you have a
0: <laughs> It does. It interests me on a on a big picture level though. Yeah. Uh, what about luxury men's fanny packs? I
1: might get into the fanny pack. Yeah, so we have very limited men um, stuff just because our, most of our demographic is women, and we only take a certain amount of designer brands only because we have we are experts in mm. authentication. That's a key point that we need to point out. Sure, um, is that these designer handbags? Where are you buying them? Do they specialize in authentication? Right. If they sell every brand, how are they experts in every brand? Right. That's why we only take a selective amount of brands that mm. we know we can back up with our one hundred percent lifetime guarantee of authenticity, because we're not an expert in everything, but sure. we are an expert in certain brands, and we take a lot of high-end brands.
0: Can you can you state what those brands are? Chanel, I know, yes. is one.
1: Yeah. So Hermes, Chanel, Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Valentino, Saint Laurent, Chloe, Celine, Givenchy, um, Fendi, Dior. Mm um those are like some of the very popular brands that like you will find um that we sell and we'll only take in mm-hmm. um there's like there's also cartier there's rolex there's van cleef and arpels um and and there we have a list of, our, of the brands that we do accept on our sure. um on our website but those are the main main big brands that we definitely take
0: gotcha all stuff that i own plenty of so I, that's all familiar to me <laughs>
1: <laughs> for sure
0: do you do you foresee a world where you're maybe expanding out of the bags and like you said rolex but like could you do this with watches like guys are doing this with their supercars right like yeah. you can rent the lamborghini from a person do you see yeah, an for, expansion in that way
1: um i do if i have the right investor, right? I, I feel like I, we currently have so much on our plate, and sometimes you feel like you have imposter syndrome. I don't know if you have that, Big Patrick. Time.
0: I'm having it right and, now, honestly. <laughs>
1: yeah, sometimes, you know, um, you get that, and you're like, "No, little old me right. can't, can't you, you can't even fathom going like you. You feel like you already have so much on your plate. You're like, "Can I even get that done? Right? Right? And then, let alone. All these million other ideas, but so I think like that's why we are definitely going to be exploring um, investors and and finding a right um, strategic partner for that.
0: Okay, that that's cool. So it's it's a maybe, but it's it's kind of a,
1: a maybe. In yeah. The
0: future, what is I guess just as we're sort of coming to the end, what's sort of the ideal customer for you? Like, do you find that in each of these lines of offerings that there's different people you're appealing to?
1: Yes. So that. That is, that is where we have kind of a larger demographic because bag rental, people who rent bags from us, they range from 18 year olds to 45 year old, right? right. But the people who are lending out their bags are not anyone um, necessarily under 25 because mm. I guess they don't really have an established wardrobe or closet of sure. many bags that they're okay with lending out. Right. Um, and then Luxe de Jour where you sell and um, um, buy bags, that demographic ranges definitely from like 18 to 55, but m- a lot of women. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so the demographic is huge. And um, and then the bag spa is definitely the same similar to luxe du jour where the demographic is 18 to 55 18 year olds have damaged bags because you know they're they're maybe out 18. going wild places <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. and then there is um the the lady with um the 55 year old lady with a very old vintage bag that needs restoration for her nice. vintage handbag right so there it, it varies they're very different demographics in a way but
0: Mm-hmm.
1: kind of all, all the same.
0: No, that's, I, I just, uh, it's really interesting to talk to you about all this because it's a great, it's a success story for you personally, but also in a way to use modern, the modern technology and all that, whatever, to hit different parts of the market. And I mean, that has to look good on the, on the books, I would think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It's been a wild ride.
0: Uh, sounds like it. So if not me personally, but if I'm listening and I'd like to get more information on, on you guys, what's the kind of the best first point of contact?
1: Yeah, so you can find us on Instagram, which we're very active in. Mm-hmm. You can follow us at Luxe Du Jour, um, Lux Bag Spa, Lux Bag Rental. Um, Luxe Du owns them all. Mm-hmm. And then they can also find us on our website at www.luxedujour.ca um, and luxbagrental.ca and luxbagspa.ca. It just depends what you need from us. renting, buying, or restoring.
0: There you go. They rent them, they lend them, they restore them. They, I don't know.
1: Everything. Everything. You have a designer hat bag. You want to come talk to us and we'll find you something. There it
0: is. There it is. There's many avenues. Tammy, you're a boss. Thank you so much for your time. This was, this was huge. All right. Have a good day.
1: You too. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the North Bank Media Podcast. Please subscribe on your platform of choice and give us a five-star review. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at North Bank Media Podcast for highlights from past conversations and to be notified of upcoming episodes.